Our text for today will be verses 9 through 18, the appointment of these leaders for the tribes of Israel and the the charge that Moses gives to them. Beloved in the Lord, we come before God every Sunday confessing that we're limited, weak, We don't have access to the perfect system. We don't have a perfect grasp of of justice for every situation. We aren't able to deal with every problem. Sometimes we hurt ourselves when we assume that we need to deal with every problem in our family and make sure that every justice is answered. The fact is, perfect justice on this side of glory is impossible. Even in the church, pastors and elders fail because we're sinful. The Lutheran sociologist Rosenstock Husey wrote a book called I Am an Impure Thinker where he he made this point. We move day by day, moment by moment in in our weakness, in in our finitude. That means we're finite. We're we're not all powerful. We're not all-knowing. And we can be happy knowing that even though we don't have all the answers, whether theological or concerning justice or psychological, God does. God has all wisdom, all authority, all power. We depend on his judgments, which he has given us in his word and applies through his spirit. It's freeing to realize that. God's a strength, our weakness. We can release our attempts to control things and look to God's wisdom. And Moses, in some sense, had to realize that too. That's why God sent his father-in-law Jethro to him. You can read about that in the book of Exodus. So that Jethro might encourage him to establish local justice so that he wouldn't take everything upon himself. This was done before the law was given, before the people had rebelled, before the people of Israel were condemned to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. When we read this in Deuteronomy, we have a new context, casting new meaning on what God is doing. Through the establishment of local leaders, elders, they're sometimes called in the Bible, among the communities of Israel, God is providing a way forward beyond Moses. He's establishing a way that Israel, in every local community throughout the land that God has promised to them, that in every community, Israel might remember his law. Moses is going to die. He's not going into the land, and God has given the people of Israel, through this, a way to move forward without him. Bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, God establishes the gift of local justice. We'll see, first of all, the burden, and we're referring there to Moses' burden. And second, the charge, the charge that Moses gives to these new elders that he has appointed. We know from the book of Exodus that the words of Moses recorded in verse 9 are preceded by a visit from his father-in-law, Jethro, encouraging him to give up a part of his great task to his fellow Israelites. 
as Moses says in this chapter, the numerous people of Israel are too great a burden for him. The first thing we must notice is that this is not a problem in itself. The fact that Moses can't do everything is only evidence of God's overflowing blessing to the people of Israel. He has blessed their families so that they're as many as the stars of the sky. And Moses doesn't want that blessing to end. He's excited about it and tells the people that this is so. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. The fact that Moses is overburdened to the point of burnout is in some sense, wonderful and glorious. Moses is is being poured out as a well-pleasing offering before his God. In fact, Moses wishes for more. He loves to see all these blessings on the people of God. Yet, he recognizes the task is too big. How can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? It's hard for us to imagine, but Moses had a whole nation to look after. Any of you who exercise leadership at at work, at home, say as a father and mother, probably know how tiring it can be to give judgment after judgment in the arguments and the fights that rise up. Leadership isn't easy. And Moses was giving judgments to a whole people, can imagine his burden. There's a lot of practical advice to be found in this short passage. Words about limitations, our limitations, prudence, the benefits of decentralization and delegating tasks to capable people within our communities. But what is most important is what the Spirit of God is teaching us about the church. Moses is the mediator here. He's the chosen one who has been given the wisdom of God. He's been given the task to take the word of God to the people. He's a prophet. Even at the end of this section, the hardest problems still come before Moses because he's been granted wisdom, the spirit of prophecy. He has direct access to God. There's a kingly aspect of Moses' calling in that he gives judgment There's a prophetic aspect in that he knows the mind of God. Moses' role as the one who has God's word and gives judgment, that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we know from the New Testament that Jesus Christ has been raised above every principality and power. All authority and power has been given to our Lord Jesus And he has the seed of judgment that Moses had in this chapter. He speaks the true prophetic word because he himself is the word. He's the one who provides, who now provides advice through his word and spirit to the church of Christ. Moses couldn't share his office with all the people. And that's why he needed help. Moses cries out that he wishes all men had the same spirit of prophecy that he has. You can read about that in Numbers 11, verses 23 to 29. There are some young men who start prophesying, and people say, come to Moses and say, look, these people are prophesying. What are you going to do about it? And Moses says, I wish 
that everybody had this spirit of prophecy. And that's a hope that's fulfilled in, in what happens in the New Testament. You see, Christ does share his office with us. 1 John 2 verse 20 tells us, you have the anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. So God has established justice in the new covenant. This justice begins in the self-control, the self-rule of each individual Christian. You then are called to govern in your office as king. Both govern yourself and govern what is given to you. This is part of what it means to have the office of king. All Christians are called to wisdom and discernment as those who share the office of Christ and as men and women who know all things, meaning we have the full revelation of Christ in the word of God. We have God's revelation, and now through that, through studying it, through thinking about it, we exercise that wisdom that God has given us. But we may only exercise this office through recognition of our weakness, human weakness, and the weakness of sinful corruption. Again, we're not infinite. We're not all-knowing. Neither are we without sin. We still struggle with the old men. That means there's real evil in the church. And I'm sure many of you have experienced that at certain times of your life. We must, first of all, approach our God for help in the time of need. We must also seek help from the community of Christ, just as Moses does in this passage. We govern recognizing both our weakness and our impurity. This is where we begin, but this doesn't mean that the church is without spiritual leadership. We're not all equal with respect to the gifts that God has given us. We're all equal before God in that we have the same anointing as prophet, priest, and king, but not equal in terms of gifts. Among those who participate in the holy office of Christ, God raises up men to whom he gives gifts of wisdom, discernment, and leadership. Just as Moses appointed men to leadership positions throughout the nation of Israel, so Christ has appointed apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You can read about that in Ephesians 4. Some of these offices are temporary. Others, like pastors and teachers, are gifts that are continually provided to the church of Christ. And just as today God provides the church with those who have gifts and discernment, so it was at the time of Moses. Moses called the people of Israel to choose for themselves men who were wise, understanding, and experienced. Then Moses took these men and set them over the people of Israel. This continues to be how we, how we do it today. Notice what's going on here. These men are given their position from two directions. They're chosen by the congregation, and they're set over the people by Moses. The selection comes from the congregation. The authority comes from Moses. Moses sets them over the people. It's God through Moses 
who gives these men authority to judge over the people of God. And that's an important point. These men did not receive their authority from the people who chose them. Rather, they received the authority of their position from God. God has all power and authority. No human receives that power and authority to judge over other human beings unless God has given that power and authority to them. That's important to remember in our own time. Even though we see the human action today in discerning and electing men to office in the church, it's not the congregational meeting that gives your elders authority. It's God. It's Christ on his throne. This is not only applicable to church authority, but to civil authority as well. Our judges, our politicians, our policemen, they receive authority from God. They're bound by God's word, whether they know it or not. We know this from Romans 13, where we're told that the civil servants receive their authority from God because he is the one who has all authority. Ultimately, it's Christ, the new and greater Moses. He sat down at the right hand of God, and God has put every power and authority under his feet. He has taken the seat of judgment. He gives authority to the elders and the pastor of the church. Even as the leaders appointed in our passage act out of the authority of Moses, God's appointed servant, so our leaders act from the authority of Christ. This is how Moses ensures that the word of God will be applied to everyone in the community of God. In the same way, Christ ensures that we receive justice at a local level. By the office of elder, God propels the mission of his church forward. By it, he ensures that his people will be treated fairly in the church of God. So why is this good news? It sounds like an opportunity for tyranny. Are all leaders' actions sanctioned by God? No. Everyone who is an authority over you, everyone whom God has appointed, is first and foremost responsible to God. And that means, there's hope in that, that because that means whatever injustice you receive will be made right. And that gives us strength to bear with injustice, knowing that God will hold our leaders responsible. As we've already noted, the big difference between the time of Moses and our time is that in our time, what is called the general office of all believers has been restored. In Christ, all share in the office of prophet, priest, and king. All Christians rule with Christ in heaven. In some sense already, and that Christians are united with the flesh of Christ, which is at the right hand of God. In some sense, not yet, in that we will receive our crown of office when we have overcome the evil in this life. But this does not undermine the office of pastor or elder or deacon. Instead, the office of pastor or elder or deacon is a gift from God to the church. It's an important point to remember. Your leaders are a gift. Remember how we began this sermon. 
Man's weak, impure. We need these offices within the church in order to strengthen the body of Christ. At the same time, you, the individual Christian, are called to exercise your office in Christ in order to strengthen those who have been gifted to the church in this way. You're all called to pray for our leaders. We're called to encourage them. Even at times, confront them. We can think about how we read in, in 1 Timothy, where Timothy, is said, where Timothy is told, never bring a charge against an elder except on two or three witnesses. So there is room for us to confront elders. But we do so as a father. But remember, again, that any judgment you give is accountable to Christ as well. Remember that you're one body and God has put you here for the purpose of strengthening one another. In that, we look to our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father, knowing that only He is almighty and all-knowing. We will fail before Him, but we know that our judge has died for us in our place. He's died for us and covers those failures in judgment that we make. We look to Him for forgiveness. And more, we look to Him, the ultimate judge, for the wisdom that is from above. Wisdom that will give us the strength to obey the charge that Moses gives to the judges that he has set over Israel in this passage. The charge that Moses gives, once again, can be applied generally to the congregation of Israel, our, our congregation today, and also specifically to the judges that Moses has, has appointed, and the elders that God has appointed over us. The principles that are given here that we act impartially or fairly, that judgment ultimately belongs to God, and that we should recognize our weakness and seek help when a case is beyond us, these are all things that remain very practical today. God has not changed. God desires justice for his people. God desires that we should measure all people by the same stick, by the same ruler, being careful not to favor our, our own group. God wants us to recognize our bias, what we might call our bias today, and seek to judge from his perspective. The task of these leaders is to give judgment. They're to discern what is right and wrong in the cases that are brought before them. They are to determine who is guilty and who must be vindicated. We sang about that in Psalm 101. We seek to remove the wicked. We seek to lift up the righteous. A special task comes with a charge. The first charge that God gives is a warning against partiality in giving judgment. This principle can be expressed in phrases like, we're all equal before the law. Or even something as simple as basic fairness. Principles like, you'll hear this thrown around, innocent until proven guilty, come from attempts to be impartial in judgment. It's easy to nod our heads here. Yes, we want people to be treated fairly, but this principle 
has rarely been carried out well, even by the church. Various societies have always favored certain groups over others. The problem is the human heart. We favor ourselves. We favor our tribe or our community. We favor those with power. We give excuses. We judge in favor of the rich and powerful for perhaps the sake of the social fabric of society. We judge in favor of the poor, maybe, because the rich guy didn't make his money honestly anyway. The human heart wants to justify itself at the expense of other people's innocence. And that's why Moses emphasized that it's, it's not just anybody who should be set over the tribes. It should be, be, be people who are able to think from other perspectives, who, are, who have wisdom, who have experience, who know God's law, so that they're able to judge from God's perspective, God's desire that true justice should be observed. And God hears, what we read here is that God is concerned about two different pairings. God wishes to see true justice to be delivered between the Israelite and the stranger, or alien in our Bibles. That just means stranger. God wishes to see true justice to be given between the small and the great. And we should want the same. We should desire justice for those who are outside of our community. The individual Muslim should be treated by the same standard as the individual Christian. We need to think about that in, in the midst of rhetoric that seeks to demonize or to whitewash Muslims. On a similar note, we should want justice for the poor, and poor people have always been oppressed, but we also desire that the rich receive justice. We can think about the haberdash Me Too movement, right? All these rich men who are being overthrown because it's revealed that they've treated women badly. We should be happy, we should rejoice that God has brought judgment on these rich and powerful men who used that power to control women sexually. But we should condemn the movement insofar as it defends and encourages false accusation. When the church does obey the command of God to be impartial, it's a wonderful testimony to the world around her. The light of Jesus shines brighter because the righteousness which he brings is more clearly seen. And Paul relies on this same principle when he talks to Timothy about judging elders in our other reading today. Don't show partiality. Take the wider view. This is about God's justice not about preserving the brotherhood of the consistory or about making a political statement about the oppressed little guy. This begins with looking to the wisdom of God. For those who are called to make judgments as elders, as pastors, as parents, as teachers, it helps to remember that we represent not ourselves and our interests, but God's interests. And to do that, we seek what James calls the wisdom from above. James 3 verse 17 tells us about this wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first pure, 
Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's good to remember in in ruling your family, in your classroom, in the consistory room, in the courtrooms of our nation. To exercise that wisdom, we must recognize our own weakness and look to God, God to whom vengeance belongs. And that's Moses' next charge. He says, don't be intimidated because judgment belongs to God. Why shouldn't we be afraid of the mob, the crowd, of politicians, of rich corporations or other leaders in society? Because judgment belongs to God. We who have been given to the church for the sake of judgment do so exercising God's judgment. As we read in Psalm 119, verse 46, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. We look to God's word. We look to the application of the Holy Spirit. That should give us confidence wherever we are. If we trust in our own judgment, we will be intimidated by other interests than God's interest. We will show partiality because only God's word is impartial. We must remember that judgment belongs to God. This fact should also give us comfort. We don't have the ability to know every detail of a given case. We don't have the knowledge in ourselves. But if we look to God's judgments in the scriptures, we can be assured of our decisions. We can be assured that our service as elders, parents, deacons, teachers will be for the benefit of those to whom we give judgment. Finally, Moses gives the judges a way out for cases that are too hard for them. If cases are too hard for them, they can bring them to Moses. This assumes that these men will have the humility and the wisdom when they have a case they cannot handle well. Again, a reminder to us that we need humility as we approach hard cases in the life of the church. Of course, we no longer have a Moses who has direct access to God, allowing him to make a final decision. But we do have Jesus Christ, the greater Moses. And he's with us, guiding us by his spirit. That means that when we, in humility, receive a difficult case, we bring it to a wider group of Christians. Or, in our church polity, we call that a broader assembly. We ask a a wider group of those who have been given judgment, pastors and elders, who through the work of the Spirit are able to discern the best answer to the case that has been brought. Our text ends with these words, and I commanded you at that time all the things you should do. That reminds us again what Moses is doing. He's giving the law of God. He's giving the instruction of God. He has it written down so that they remember, they remember what God desires. Now, we don't have the instructions of God all laid out nicely for us like the Israelites did at the time of Moses. We're not under the law anymore, but we do need to continue to apply the instruction of the law to the church. We need to take the law of Moses and apply it through Christ. We need to understand how the sacrifice of Christ changed the relation of the law to us today. 
That takes time, study, and the wisdom of God. But we can be confident once again as we make these judgments. And here we need to remember again John's words in 1 John. You have the anointing of the Holy One and you know all things. Remember, God is holy. God's all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is truly just. We're weak, weak men. Weak in that you are created. Weak in that the old men, the old infection of sin remains in you. So look to the justice of God revealed in Jesus Christ and seek to live according to his judgments. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.